Let us pray. Father, we are grateful and thankful this morning for the reading of the Word of God. Lord, we know the grass may wither, the flowers may fade, but the Word of our God shall stand forever, and we thank You and praise You for it. Lord, thank You for every song that has been sung this morning, for the Word of God that has already been taught in Sunday school. Thank You, Father, for the prayers that have been prayed, the offerings that have been given. And thank You, Father, for this privilege now to stand and declare the precious Word of God. Lord, I do pray this morning for all the needs and requests of our church family. You know each and every one and each and every situation. Father, You know all about it. Lord, You know each of us better than we know ourselves. Lord, here this morning, Lord, in this place, are men and women, boys and girls, some who belong to You in saving grace, others who are lost and in need of a Savior. And I pray this morning that Your Word would have free course, that it would run to every heart exactly where it needs to run, and do in every life that, Lord, that You have designed it to do. For those that are unsaved, I pray the Spirit of God would convict, draw them to a place of repentance. They may cry out unto the Lord for saving grace. For those of us who know You, may we rejoice and worship and adore You this morning. And Lord, may we feed on the precious Word of God. I pray You'd bless every missionary, every pastor, every servant of God who's standing today, wherever they might be standing, declaring Your truth. I pray, Father, that souls would respond and lives would be changed for Your glory and honor. Lord, we thank You again this morning for Madison and Peyton. We thank You for this place in their life. I pray that You would guide them, Lord, in every decision they make. You would, uh, Lord, help them to follow You, help them to do Your will. I pray You would bless their parents and those, Lord, who have an influence in their life. We pray that You would give them wisdom to continue to love and guide and help our church, Lord, that we may continue to pray for them and hold them up to You. And I pray, Father, that wherever Your will may lead them, that they would do Your will, accomplish your will, so that one day they'll be able to hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, Father, we've read your word about your word, and now as we preach your word, I pray that your word would be magnified, and Lord, you'd help me to rightly divide it, and Lord, give me strength to do exactly what you've asked me to do, and we'll thank you and praise you for it all. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. In the 119th Psalm, verse 89 through 96, this is just one of the many portions or segments of this psalm. Every section of this psalm, divided in eight verse sections, is devoted to a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You may see that actually above the Scripture in your Bible. If you have a study Bible or a Bible that actually lists that, you will see it there. That's what that is, the Hebrew letter like our alphabet, and then each of these sections relate the Word of God to something in that alphabet. And that's the beauty of this 119th Psalm. When the student of Scripture, or when those that are familiar with the Word of God, come to this 119th Psalm, which is all about the Word of God, it is sometimes referred to as the statutes of the Lord, the law of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, or the precepts of the Lord, when we come to this particular portion, many passages of Scripture come to our own minds. When I come to the 119th Psalm, I think about the prophet Jeremiah 
in Jeremiah 15, verses 15 through 16, who was feeling the pressure of affliction and persecution. And he wrote these words. He said, O Lord, Thou knowest, remember me and visit me, and revenge me of my persecutors. Take me not away in Thy long suffering. Know that for Thy sake I have suffered rebuke. Then he goes on to say, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Jeremiah ate or accepted the word of God, and it became a strength and a help to him in time of affliction and persecution. If you'll notice back in verse 81 of Psalm 119, the psalmist is evidently there in his life as well. He says, My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. He says in verse 87, They had almost consumed uh, me upon earth, but I forsook not thy precepts. He's talking about a time in his life when he was under great pressure, and had it not been for the word of God, he may have ceased living, or he may have lost his way. In Jeremiah 8 and verse 9, Jeremiah again says the same thing. He says, the wise men are ashamed, they are dismayed and taken low, they have rejected the word of the Lord. Jeremiah said, I was living in a day when men took for granted the word of God, when they rejected the word of God, when they turned away from the very life-giving truth of God. So when I come to Psalm 119, I think about Jeremiah, the pressure that he was under and how he found strength and encouragement and help in the word of God. Another passage in the New Testament I think about is Colossians 3.16, where Paul told the Colossian believers, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. He is saying to them, it is not enough to be taught the word of God. It is not enough to come up and hear the word of God through your life. But he said, Lord, he said, let the word dwell in those Colossian believers. Let the word actually become a part of them. Let the Word be a part of their life, a part of every decision they make, every choice they make in life. May the Word of God have an impact upon that. These graduates that are here this morning, as well as all of us, we are living in a world where the Word of God is treated as a stranger. The Word of God that I've read this morning is a stranger in the West Wing of the White House. The Word of God that I read this morning is a stranger on the floor of the United States Senate, Congress, our state legislature. This word is a stranger in many of our city and county governments, our commissions, our boards, and our governing body. The Word of God is viewed today in our culture as a ball and chain to the past that somehow connects us to a bunch of old people who should have died out by now so our world could move forward. That is how this precious book is treated. But worst of all, and worse than all the things I just said, is the Word of God is becoming increasingly a stranger to our own homes and our own hearts. Some of us still carry a copy of God's Word out of traditional and cultural loyalty, but it no longer holds the place of sacredness and it no longer holds a place of priority as it did in the life of men like Jeremiah, like the psalmist, 
And like the Apostle Paul, we no longer look to it for guidance. Sometimes we look to it to help pull us out of the mud when we're there. But we no longer look to it as truth to keep us out of the mud before we get there. We no longer look to to it for instruction and spiritual nourishment. And certainly we live in a world that no longer looks to it as protection from sin. In this 119th Psalm, verse 11, the psalmist said, By word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. If you look at the increasing sinfulness of this age, you have to come to the conclusion that that is happening because men and women and young people no longer hide the Word of God in their heart. The Word of God will keep you from sin. The Word of God will deliver from sin. The Word of God will teach about the dangers of sin and the consequences of following sinful paths. We look this morning in this particular portion of the 119th Psalm at the enduring stability of God's Word. He begins and talks about it being forever settled in heaven. It is the enduring stability of the Word of God. It is one of the few things that is stable. If I had to stand here this morning and and tell Madison and Peyton something that would still be permanent and fixed in their life 30 years from now, 40 years from now, I don't really know what I could tell them. Because some of the things I was told back in 1974 that would always be stable in my life, those things have been gone for decades. But the one thing that I can tell them will be there no matter how long they live is the precious Word of God. Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. One of the great preachers of bygone years called it the settledness of Scripture. Don't know that that's a word, but he used it and it sounds good. The settledness of Scripture. It is the help of believers in a chaotic and crumbling world. And the psalmist is celebrating that in this passage we're looking at this morning. And it's my prayer for these graduates as well as for all of us this morning, that we be strengthened and encouraged by the truth that is presented in this text. First of all, look with me, if you will, in verse number 89, at how God's Word is settled, or God's Word is firmly established in heaven. He says, Forever, O Lord, forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. He's talking about the Word of God and how it is firmly established, how it is firmly fixed, and then he tells us where that is the case, and that is the case in heaven. The Word of God may be totally out of your heart. The Word of God may be totally out of your mind. The Word of God may have no place in your past, present, or future intentions of life. But understand this, the Word of God is forever firmly established in heaven. The Word of God may be long gone from the White House. It may be long gone from the Capitol in Raleigh. The Word of God may be long gone from most school rooms and educational systems. But it is firmly established in heaven, and in plain Caldwell County language, 
It ain't going nowhere. It is settled in the heavens. And it'll be there as long as God is who He is and where He is. On this last Sunday in May 2022, we find ourselves in a world that is very much unsettled. A world that is very much unstable. A world that is very much unfixed. More people than ever have no settled place of residence. Before this day comes to a close, there will be people on these grounds that will take their bath or wash off out of our water spigots because they have no home. There will be people who are charging their cell phones out of our outlets here because they have no place of residence. We have people unsettled in every area of life. The financial markets of the world are as unsettled as the oceans. People are unsettled about their lives and their future. Within the past several years, people who had their life settled in their minds, where they were going to retire, where they were going to spend out their days in employment, they no longer know what they're going to do or if they're going to do or where they're going to be. All of this is because we live in a sin-cursed world, a restless world, a world that is unreliable, a world that has no foundation, and a world that has no anchor. I don't want to discourage these graduates, but whatever majors they may choose or employment they may select to be a part of in life, as some of you that are sitting here today, the world will change that on you just about the time you get qualified for it. They'll change it and you'll become something else or have to become something else to survive. We live in a very unstable, unreliable, unanchored world. But thanks be to God... The Word of our God is forever settled in heaven. Heaven is still heaven. Hell is still hell. God's still God. Man's still a sinner. And Jesus Christ is the only way of eternal life. So the psalmist tells us here in these verses, verse number 89, forever he gives praise and thanksgiving. He makes declaration that forever, forever, O Lord, thy Word is settled in heaven heaven. Most of us, at least I did growing up, thought I'm here, I live here. If I live anywhere else, it'll be right near here. All of those plans were changed. We moved from here to there, from this to that. But rest assured, when you got up this morning, the Word of God was established in the presence of God. When you lay down tonight, no matter what the markets do tomorrow, no matter what happens in life, this book is consistent and it will be there as long as God is God and in heaven. God's Word is settled. The Word means firmly fixed. It means stationed. One writer said it's a military term which applies to everything being arrayed and marshaled, everything being positioned, ready for the field of battle, settled. When the army is settled, it means the army is where it's supposed to be. And it has the ability to do what it is supposed to do. The Word of our God is settled. It will never be shaken by a shaken culture. It will never be moved by an ever-moving culture. It will never be adjusted by an ever-adjusting culture. It is fixed. It is settled. It is there. The psalmist is telling us that God's Word is our foundation. God's Word is settled. 
But notice also, God's Word is settled where? It's settled in heaven. God's Word is firmly fixed. It's stationed. It's stationed appropriately and authoritatively. And it is stationed there in heaven. Not down here, but it is stationed there in heaven. Men are throwing it out down here, but thank God it's positioned perfectly in heaven. It is above. That's what heaven means. The psalmist said God's Word is forever settled in heaven. It's above the challenges of our culture. It's above, it's above the compromises of our culture. It's above the contradictions of our culture. The Word of God is above all of that. Men make, men make their declarations about certain things. They take their definition of marriage and change it from the Word of God, but too late, the definition is done settled far above in heaven. They change their opinions and, and ideologies about everything in a very unchanging culture. A very changing culture, but an unchanging word is fixed there in the heavens. It's firm and it's going nowhere. It's there. You and I often, you and I often look at a world and we think, well, is the Word of God even working in our world any longer? Yes, because it is forever settled in heaven. And understand this, that every man, woman, boy, and girl who refuses this Word of God, understand this, it doesn't matter what you do with it down here, every one of us will be judged by it when we stand before God. Men can hold this up today and snigger and laugh at it or do like they did in the Old Testament days of Jeremiah when, when they took it and took a pen knife and cut it and threw part of it away. If men may do that. They may roll it up and throw it in a fire. A professor may take it to a classroom and mock it and make fun of it. But understand this, the very word that they mock and make fun of is the very word that will judge them when they stand before God. Thank God for a word settled. Thank God for a word settled in heaven. Do you hear what the psalmist is saying? God's word is firmly fixed in the heavens. No trouble here can contradict it. No trial here can challenge it. No sin here can mar it. It's fixed. It's established. It is there. Did we ever think? That we would see. When I came through school, I, I was taught state and national history and looked at pictures and taught about monuments and about things that were engraven to the glory of God. And not one teacher I had ever told me there's coming a day when a world would tear those things down simply because they hated God. I assumed those things were fixed, but they were not. And they crumble, and they continue to crumble. But rest assured, every time God's name is erased or taken down from something, every time the Word of God is removed from something here, take confidence and courage and remember, thank God it's settled in heaven, and no one's going to bombard the throne of God and remove it from there. It is there forever. Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away. But my words shall not pass away. The heavens you see out here, the sky, the sun, the moon, the star, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So first of all, God's Word, God's Word is firmly 
fixed in heaven. Verse 90, secondly, God's Word guarantees His faithfulness to all generations. Look at verse 90. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. You see, God's faithfulness rests upon His character and upon His unchanging fixed Word. God's Word is as certain as His faithfulness, and God's faithfulness is as certain as His Word. But notice how he argues that point in the latter part of verse 90 and 91. He says, Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. They, speaking about the earth, they continue this day according to thine ordinances, for all are thy servants. The psalmist is pointing out to God's Loyalty, God's loyalty here to His covenant promises from one generation to another. And He illustrates that by showing us how God oversees nature. Look at verse 90. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. In other words, it stands fast. It remains because God has established it. The earth don't remain because everybody treated the earth nice. The earth doesn't remain because all of us bought into the fact that it was crumbling and going to fall out from under us. No, the earth remains because God told it to remain, and it will remain until God says it's done. We believe that by faith because that is the word of God. He said, they continue this day according to thine ordinances. Turn back, if you will, for just a moment to the book of Genesis, first book in the Word of God, chapter 8, verse number 20 and verse number 21. The psalmist is saying here, he is saying the very stability of the world depends upon God's faithfulness. Notice in Genesis chapter 8, verse number 20 through 22, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. Now notice verse 22. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night, shall not cease. Did you hear the word of God? God said, as long as this earth remains, as long as this earth remains, God said, I will never disrupt the seasonal unfolding like I did with the flood. I'll never come back by and do that again. As long as this earth remains, there's always going to be a summer, winter, spring, and fall, and there's going to be a seed time, and there's going to be a harvest time. Whenever we look at our calendars, walk out into our gardens, or whenever we go from spring to summer to fall to winter, we take for granted all this stuff. The world's hollering. It's going to be over. It's going to be so hot you can't grow anything, so cold you can't grow anything. We have the promise of the Word of God where God said to Noah, He said by His covenant promise, as long as this earth remains, I will see to it that the seasons come and the seasons go. Our God and His Word guarantees His faithfulness to all generations, and He proves that by just the seasons of the year. We're headed toward summer. We're in spring. And all of that disproves to me that God's Word is forever settled in heaven. 
from Noah's day unto ours. His truth, His Word, His Word, His faithfulness is unto all generations. God's been faithful to you in just letting spring come. God will be faithful to you in just letting your cucumber seeds grow. God is saying, I am the one who controls all of that. And God's Word tells us that we can know that He is faithful to all generations by the promise that He made to Noah. Thirdly, in verse 92, not only is God's Word firmly fixed in heaven, and secondly, not only is God's Word, does God's Word guarantee His faithfulness to all generations, but thirdly, God's Word is our delight when we are afflicted. Look at verse 92. Unless thy law, another word for God's Word, had been my delights, I should have perished in mine affliction. He mentions that up in verse 81. And if you want a real interesting word study, go home and Get a good concordance or a good uh, computer program of your Bible and, and study the word afflictions in the Psalms, the whole Bible for that matter, but especially the Psalms. The psalmist said, My life was under great affliction. Not only is God's Word firmly fixed in heaven, and the, the, not only that, but God's Word guarantees His faithfulness to all generations. But God's Word is our delight when we go through any difficulty or any hardship in life. That word delight there in the text in verse 92 means pleasure. It means enjoyment. He said, your word is my pleasure. Your word is why I continue to live. Your word is what gives me enjoyment. And then that word affliction means misery. It means poverty. He said, unless your word had been there to give me pleasure and enjoyment, he said, the misery and the poverty that I hid in my life, he said, would have done me in. He said, I would have perished. I would have died. There are saints sitting right here this morning who you could testify and you could say amen to that a hundred times over. There's been times when had it not been for the Word of God, you could have never made it and you would not have made it had it not been for the strength of the precious Word of God. He says God's Word is our delight. Some commentators define this word affliction as a type of of depression, and it can certainly be that. Christian author William Plummer, in his commentary on Psalms, write these, writes these words about verse 92. I quote, Such is the weight of many of our earthly sorrows, that nothing but Scripture, received in faith and applied by the Holy Spirit, can sustain the sinking heart. End quote. He's exactly right. He is saying that nothing but Scripture will carry us through. I don't have many degrees. I was telling Peyton out front, my, my sash don't read like his sash <laughs> reads. reads uh, there wasn't nothing but English on mine, and I've done good to get that. But I want to tell you, everything this world, everything this world provides intellectually, Everything this world provides in that regard will someday come up short of the answers. It can't do it. Because everything in this world comes from fallen humanity. But thank God the Word of our God endures forever. There are sorrows and afflictions that we all face that nothing can help us except the Word of God. These graduates will face things that nothing can help them 
but the Word of God. And if you don't turn to the Word of God, then you turn to an inferior source. You turn to some man, some woman, some person, some theory, some ideology about how things are fixed and how things... And never before in the history of our nation have we been more divided. I mean, seriously. You get a pothole in a road, it takes 50 people, and 25 of them argue against the other 25 about how, how to fix it. That's the world in which we live. And part of that reason is we don't go to the Word of God. You say, when I preach of the Word of God, don't talk about how to fit potholes, does it? Read Isaiah 40, where Isaiah come and filled up the holes and leveled out. Yeah, it, it covers it all. It covers it all. When the Apostle Paul was writing to that young Thessalonian church in an attempt to answer their questions, they had just gotten saved, and then some of their loved ones had died. And they buried them, and they looked at the pagans, and when they died, they buried them, and the young Christians could not figure out how the difference. We're supposed to be believers, and they're unbelievers. And so they wrote to Paul and said, Can you tell us? And Paul wrote back in those famous words that we often hear read at the graveside of our loved ones, Brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not as do others which have no hope. For if we believe that they've died, we believe that Christ will come again, and when He comes, they'll be with Him. You know those words. Paul wrote back to try to help them to understand that they, their loved one was in the presence of God. But in the last verse of 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 18, Paul makes this statement to them, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul said, don't take my word for this. He said, take this word and find comfort in affliction, find enjoyment, find pleasure, find strength through the Word of God. And I would remind all of us that today, in a world that's throwing everything at us from every angle, making no common sense whatsoever, remember this morning, remember that our delight when we are afflicted is the Word of God. Those of you that have buried a loved one who was a Christian, and there's been many of you that have in the years I've been here, We've been to the grave together, soon be 80 times. Just in my short time of pastoring you, I've walked with families in this church 80 times to the graves. Are, is your loved one who was saved, are they really in heaven? Yes. Are they really going to return with our Lord when He returns? Yes. Will they have a glorified body and will we be together forever in the presence of God? Yes. How do we know that? Because the Word of God. That's what the psalmist is saying here. Unless thy law had been my delight, I would have perished. When I went into my depression, my affliction, when I went into my questions and my anguish and the enemy was racking against me, he said, had it not been for your Word, I would have never survived. Look at verse 71 of this 119th Psalm. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Brother, when you hit those rough places, it can turn out for good if you'll learn something about the Word of God while you're going through it. Let me go one step further just before I close. Look at verse number 96. Not only is God's Word firmly fixed in heaven, and not only is God, does God's Word guarantee His faithfulness to all generations, and not only does God's Word become our delight when we are depressed or afflicted or in trouble, but in verse 96, God's Word is broad. 
He said, I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandment is exceeding broad. The word broad there means roomy. It means roomy. Exceeding means very much roomy. He said, I have seen an end of all perfection. That means, the psalmist said, I have looked at life and I have seen that everything has its limits, including man. He only lives so long. The psalmist is saying, I have seen that everything in life, he understands everything in life has its limits. But he now knows the Word of God and God's Word is broad. It is roomy. It has no limits. There's no boundaries to it. I want to say to the graduates, as all of us know that have been down the road they're going down, your high school diploma, they don't tell you that, but they should print it down at the bottom of it that this diploma comes with limits. It will only open so many doors of opportunity. And it won't be long in the future till you'll run into somebody who's either wanting to help you or wanting more money, and they'll say, you need to add something to that diploma. And then when you get what they want you to have, somebody else will come along and say, you need to add a doctorate to that, or you need to add a... And all those things are... Leg- most of those things are legitimate. But what I'm saying is, a high school diploma doesn't cover it all. Just a limited thing. Right? There'll be a day you'll need a bachelor's, a doctorate, or whatever. But there'll never be a day that this doesn't cover it. His commandments, they're not just broad. They're exceeding broad. Exceeding broad. God's Word has no limits. It's beyond perfection. None of us here today, no one could stand and say, Preacher, I found the limits of God's sufficiency. No. No one could stand and say, Preacher, I found a place where God's Word was outmatched. I I hit a circumstance. I hit something in my life where the Word of God left me me wondering. It It left me alone. The Word of God just walked away from me. No. It's a broad book. There's no more left. Some people look and say, there's no more left for me to understand. Brother, you can study this book. I've had the privilege of studying this book for over 50 years, seriously, and I can still say with the psalmist, this book is far broader than I've ever traveled in life. And there's far more riches there than I've ever mined, and there's far more truth there than I have ever gleaned. Thy commandment is exceeding broad. Only God knows where life will take these graduates and life take all of us. How far beyond? You know, we go with those, these people I, I know, young people that I've had under the ministries where I served and, and where God takes them. Some stay close to home and do great things. Others go away from home and do great things. Some go away and stay at home and do nothing. I mean, that's life too. But who knows? But you can't go too broad to get away from the Word of God. The Word is there. Thank God for that. Graduates, like most everyone, you may feel like there's some things that you've outgrown. Everybody in here remembers, probably remembers the day when you thought you outgrew Bible school. Everybody, anybody remember that? Uh, here's a big one. You remember the day you outgrew the children's choir? 
Remember that day? I outgrew that 16 years before Dad let me stop singing in it. But, you know, we all feel like there's times in life when we outgrow things, outgrow certain clothes, certain games. There's young people sitting here today that's outgrown me and outgrown us. But that's how you feel. That's kind of normal. Out, outgrow your age groups. But hear me well when I say this this morning. Nobody ever outgrows the Word of God. Never. The book widens and deepens with our years. And the same word that you said when your nursery teacher had you quote it back or beginner class or whenever you started talking and you were quoting back Scripture, the same word that you used to write out and color around it and carry it home to your parents and put on the refrigerator, that same word will be there with you when you no longer even have a mind to know who you are or where you are. The Word of God is a broad word. So graduates, this word has you covered. I close with a quote from A.W. Tozer. He said this, the Bible is not only a book which was once spoken, but the Bible is a book which is now speaking. It is. And the good thing about this, you don't ever have to read it and wonder who's put their slant on it or who's inserted their opinion in it. Because this is the pure Word of God it is His words, divinely inspired, inerrant, and His faithfulness will endure to all generations. John's coming, our musicians are coming. We're going to stand and sing before we leave this morning an old hymn entitled, How Firm a Foundation, Ye Saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. I'm going to ask you to stand, and then if you will remain standing at the end of our hymn, we'll have our graduates to go out before the congregation. What number, Jonathan?